Welcome back to the Last Word on Sense podcast. As always, I'm your host, Alex Metzger, and it's been about a week or two, two weeks probably, I guess, since my last podcast, and we finally have some NHL games to talk about. Obviously, the last one I did, we had one pathetic Toronto Maple Leafs game to talk about, and then uh, nothing else over the past five or six weeks, but we actually have a six, five or six games to talk about today, and to break it all down, I got the one and only Owen Welch joining me from Silver 7 Cents. Owen, how's it going today? Thank you so, so much for joining me, man. Hey, thanks for having me. I uh, I really appreciate the invite to be here. You're uh, a respected voice in the community and you always put out top-notch content. So I'm really stoked to be doing this. Means a lot. And uh, yeah, I'm really excited too. It's uh, it's nice and refreshing to actually have stuff to to discuss that's that's new and about the Senators here. Uh, obviously, since their return, there's been some ups and some downs. Uh, their their record in their last six since getting back is uh, three, two, and one, uh, which includes a sweep of Western Alberta. They dropped a game to the Sabres, who they're playing in about 20 minutes as we're recording this tonight. So obviously the uh, listeners will know how that game went, uh, dropped one of the pens and caps, and then beat the Blue Jackets. But uh, definitely a lot to break down. I think it's been, we'll, we'll start with just, you know, what we've seen overall. And uh, I think definitely one of the trends that I've noticed is they've all been good games or there have not been too many games where it feels like Ottawa is just getting crushed. Uh, maybe the Sabres game aside, I, I thought that game was okay. But, you know, against a team like Buffalo, people were labeling that a trap game. And when you're the 29th place team in the league, I didn't really realize there was such thing as a trap game, if I'm being completely honest. Yeah. And I mean, you know, you're, you're going to have nights where you're just, you're going to get goalied. Right. And it was their fifth string goaltender Buffalo was playing a Hauser. I mean, career ECHL, AHL guy, and it, it happens, right? Like you, you can you can sort of like smash the atom there, but I, I don't think you're going to get too much of that. Other, they got goalie good for Hauser. It was a great story for him. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it happens to the best of them, right? And we've seen it yeah. over the past couple of years. Ottawa goalies. to the worst of them, too. Because, <laughs> well, yeah, it's the sins we're talking about. Yes, it, it happens to everyone. That is the NHL. And, I mean, I'm just pulling up the game sheet from there, too. Like, they, they controlled scoring chances, uh, you know, um, Corsi expected goals, all that good stuff. They, they controlled it all and just – ran into a hot goalie, as you said, you know, it's not, it's not too often where you throw 44 shots on net and only one of them goes in. So, uh, but yeah, a goalie who's, I think played five NHL games. In his I would career, say like- a goalie that what 5% of people might've heard of before of sense fans. Like I had never heard of them before coming the into the game. Signed him that day. Like, it was, <laughs> yeah. so you know what? It happens. But, you know, other than that, like, I mean, even that game, obviously it happens, but uh, it's been, you know, relatively impressive how they've played. I thought the, the past couple games, um, you know, we can start with the Alberta games. They obviously they beat the Flames 4-1 and then, um, you know, the, there was a, a week delay on the Oilers game, but they marched in there with an amazing third period comeback and and beat an Oilers team that is just reeling right now to the point where uh, there was almost demands on the on the head coach and it, it caused the, their second best player to blow up against a, a journalist as well. Um, but, you know, I, I thought that was the, the Oilers game, especially, um, you know, the Flames game was really impressive. It was just you know, solid hockey. I didn't think they they didn't dominate or anything like that, but they just did what they need to get the the win. And it feels like that's kind of been an often a uh, common report against the Flames over the past two years. But the Oilers game, you know, they just like dead to rights uh, after after two periods. Like it was just nothing was really going their way. Um, I want to say, what was it? I, I think it was, was it four, one, three, one, when they were going into the period and they, they come back and storm with three or four goals in the third and just, they really didn't show any quit. And, and that's the stuff you love to see as a team that is just kind of, str- you know, trying to find whatever points they can as a win in the season. Yeah. And I think a lot of us are kicking ourselves for falling asleep during that Oilers game. That, <laughs> uh, and you know, Hey, they almost did it against uh, the Penguins too. And you know, when you look at that six game stretch and you want to try and look for positives and things, you got the Edmonton game and uh, the Pittsburgh game where the goalies didn't have it those nights. Um, but other than that, you know, goaltending for, for what it is, for what we expect at this point in the season with the trio we're rolling with, I mean, it's, you can live with two, you know, poor starts out of six. Yeah. I, um, I think it's, it's an upgrade, right. From what they've yeah. had at times this year. And, you know, looking at the season as a whole, um, one, you know, one way I would sort of describe it, and um, I 
I think a lot of folks would agree when you look at, you know, there have been these big like extended losing streaks and then they, you know, Forsberg got hot for a bit and they won a few games. Is You've seen stretches where, um, you know, at the start of the season, for instance, and recently they've been winning those battles in terms of you look at course, you look at expect, expected goals and you look at the five on five numbers and you can see over the course of the game and they'll do this three or four, five games in a row where they'll, you know, be winning those battles, have the good numbers, but then they don't get the bounces. You know, goalie has a poor start. They can't convert on the power play. They're winning games or sorry, losing games like three to one, whatever it may be. And then you see the other end of it where they're getting crushed by those five on five metrics, Corsi expected goals, but they're riding this PDO bubble where, oh, the, the power play is clicking at like 25, 30% and Anton Forsberg wins like five, six games in a row. And what we're seeing is in my, you know, the way I see it is over the course of the season, you're getting one or the other. And we haven't really seen a stretch where they're getting the percentages, the goaltending, they're converting on the power play, scoring at five on five and winning those coursey expected goals battles. And it's, that's just part of the development curve, I think. Yeah, I think it's still, you know, it's um, clear that, uh, you know, one of the topics, too, that, that we, it feels like we talk about every time, but uh, uh, it, it's part of the development. And, and the encouraging part is when they are controlling the expected goals battle and and even when they're not, but they're scoring goals, it's those young top guys that are, are driving that. It's it's the depth that a lot of time is really holding this team back. And, um, you know, you can look at that two ways. You can look at that one as yes, the depth is going to need a serious overhaul this offseason, and it's going to be very interesting to see how they do that, especially if they uh, continue to work on a limited budget, as one would probably expect they will. But the other thing is that, well, the core pieces of your team are driving this team forward. And, uh, you know, that that continues to be the trend here over the past six six games or so. Uh, Stutzel's like absolutely amazing up the center, and they put Formanton on his left wing. And my God, that has really paid off. Those two are just... They look so good together with all their speed. They're just causing chaos in the in the offensive zone. And um, you know, I was one of the people. I was definitely was not on the very minority of people I saw saying trade uh, former. There was some trade talk for Formanton earlier this year. I don't know what that was about. I was never sold. He was a true like bona fide top six guy. But the the past couple games, it has been way way more encouraging because him and Stutzla and Stutzla at center has been amazing. They have really had something click. Yeah, and I think I, I've definitely been you know on Formanton as a, not necessarily a core piece, but as a keeper, uh, he's had his cold stretches for sure. But now we're starting to see, not only does he have, you know, this unbelievable speed and you see him on these odd man rushes on the penalty kill and things, but now playing with Stitzel, you're seeing those course, he expected goals. Those numbers come to where we would expect from a guy like Formanton, if he is going to be a part of the team long-term and with Stitzel, I mean, it's, we're running out of like, um, ways to describe but I, I think we're we're less than a year away from a point where Stutzla is like definitively he's the best player on this team and that's not a knock on Shabbat or Batherson who are you know amazing players in their own right but Tim Stutzla is he, he's so unique he has such a diverse skill set and we are seeing him become that third overall pick this you know really really special franchise player yeah, I mean, and like it, it's it's really nice because, you know, we're seeing him become I mean, a he's been just if you look at any basically advanced metric, he's been really solid defensively this year, which uh, is something, you know, he talked about. He said, you know, he, uh, it was one of those things that he focused over the summer where um, you know the, the points will come. He knows he's an offensive player, but he said if he wants to be one of the true great players in this league, he knew his defensive game was going to have to take a step up. And, and that is clear, you know, that, that has been working this year, but then you see that skill on, on display too, because uh, you know, the, the other night against Columbus, he just had a beautiful goal from the, the red line in where he takes the puck. I don't really know what the, the blue jackets defenders were doing. One guy looked like his controller disconnected and then he absolutely walked Renski, but then he takes it to the backhand and just puts it over the pad. Just one of the best goals I've seen all year. And it's, it's really, really encouraging to see that skill still shine. You know, he has it. He's got a great shot when he can use it as well. 
but also that he's, you know, starting to form out that 200 foot game because, you know, I think it's been something that I've said multiple times, definitely on this podcast is um, for this senator's team to really take a step forward to obviously not next year, but in the, if they want to be a contender in two or three years, they need that X factor player. And I was, you know, Shabbat is that on the back end, but I felt they needed one on the front end as well. And I wasn't sure they had it, but Stutzel is showing that he can potentially be that guy. And that is an incredibly encouraging thing. Can you just imagine you know, setting yourself up like that and say, like, over the course of the summer, I'm going to do this and then just go do it. And for him to say, I'm going to become like a selfie, selkie caliber forward and just go out and do it, right? It, it's it's so absurd to think about. But then that goal was the same thing where, and I mean, Elvis Murgis Alinkis is, he's no slouch. He's a great goaltender, but he was purely just will and just, I'm going to score here, right? Like, I'm going to walk Wierenski. I'm going to pop this over Marisa Alinkis after, after he, he takes the bait on this unbelievable um move and it was the whole thing was just like he willed that goal out of nothing yeah and it's that's just kind of like the the hint of what he can do too you know so um it'll be interesting to see where he goes from here but uh yeah him informanting clicking has been huge for this for this team because obviously we got that that really good first line and then you know, uh, for all year, it just kind of felt like Sutzler was a little bit on alone on an island. And obviously, Pinto going down really affected that five games in. And obviously, uh, Connor Brown is out right now, too. But I think in an ideal world, like I love Connor Brown as a player, but on a good team, he is on your third line. Maybe on a great team, he might even be a fourth line player. And again, that's nothing against Connor Brown. He's a fringe second line guy, I would say. But it's just if you can get another guy to push him down. I think that would be ideal, but even just having the one guy and then Connor Brown being the third best player on your second line, you can definitely work with that. So uh, I, I think that almost brings us nicely into the next topic and we can go back to a couple of the games after here, but uh, the trade deadline is about seven weeks away and uh, it is getting into scouting season uh, where Anytime a scout or a GM is at another team's games, people go nuts with hypotheticals on Twitter. Um, obviously, Montreal and Ottawa have been two, apparently, that have been looking at each other back and forth. And that has had a lot of connections because Montreal will not be a team that's buying. But uh, that, that leads to see, you know, what's there for Ottawa. And a name that's been connected by a couple of people has been Tyler Toffoli as, you know, someone who might be an option. He's got two year, two and a half years, I guess, left at uh, 4.25 on his contract. And uh uh, he's having a down year this year. He had a great year last year, career year, really, last year. Um, I want to get in this with you because <laughs> my personal take on Twitter of this today was I, I like the idea, but the timing to me isn't right. If Toffoli was a free eight or a Toffoli type player was a free agent this summer where you don't need to give up trade assets, I would be all on board. Or if this was a year from now and Ottawa was much closer to like, let's say ninth or 10th in the conference even versus I think they're 13th rate, 14th right now. Um, and obviously they're, they're, I think they're maybe 13th by points percentage. If this is next year and they're showing that they are a much better team or much more consistent team where we're seeing it all come together for more time, I would be much, much more open to getting a guy with a couple of years on term, even if you have to give up a second round pick and a, and a, pro, a mid round prospect or something like that to do it this year. I'm, I'm not as sold that they should be, you know, going and spending high, higher level, uh, uh, picks or assets of any kind to, even if the guy's got, you know, one or two le years left on term. I, I want to know what you think about uh, to fully specifically, but even just that type of player. Yeah. And uh, so I'm going to, I'm definitely inclined to agree. I think first and foremost, the timing doesn't make sense for Ottawa to be doing this now when, um, and I'll, I'll throw some free agent names at you for the off season. Cause I do think this is something you can do in the off season without forfeiting um, picks and prospects. The other thing is I just hate the idea of, this trade within the division trading with Montreal, Ottawa and Montreal don't trade often with each other. And it's just, it, it, it gives me that feeling in the pit of my stomach. You know, I think of trading Leonard to Buffalo and then him shutting us out what felt like every single game we played against them. So I hate the idea of trading with Montreal um, to Foley. I, I do like the player. I think, you know, he, and I'm guessing what we're talking about here is that luster of him being a natural right shooting right winger to slot in after Batherson ahead of um, Connor Brown. So if, if Ottawa is going to make a trade, a couple names I would throw um, that aren't division rivals would be in Philly and in Chicago, where you've got two fan bases who are probably expecting a lot more than they're getting. And if you 
can, you know, get either of those teams making a knee jerk trade. I'd, I'd be shooting bigger for another former 67 in Travis Konechny, or if you really want to put all your chips in the middle of the table, Alex to out of Chicago, but I don't see Ottawa really thinking they're, they're at that point yet um, where either of those are feasible whatsoever. Yeah. And I, like, that's the type of player that you, that's the only kind of type of player that you can be given up a first round pick for, I think if yeah. you're Ottawa. Um, and both of those guys are four or five years younger than Toffoli. I mean, yeah. To bring in someone who you're looking at blue chip prospects, first round picks, you got to be serious and Ottawa's not there yet. But to me, Toffoli, he's 29 going on 30. He's got a good contract, but it's trading with another team in the division. who's also at the bottom right now. Eh, not crazy about it. And, Again, if you want to talk about some of the free agent options, I've I've highlighted some names that I think would make a bit more sense to me. Yeah, sure. And uh, one more thing before we go to free agents here, but on Toffoli too, is that's the big thing with him being 29 is that, you know, you're giving up assets for him. You're not this year. There's a good chance. And maybe, maybe not like, obviously not everyone just falls off a cliff when they hit 30, but we see it's routinely, we know how age curves work that generally speaking, players get worse the older they get, you know, once they get into their thirties. Um, there's a chance you trade for him, get his best output in this half season when it means nothing to you. And when he's 30, 31, 32, you know, that age range, you might not be getting near as much as you expected or just as much as it was worth. So that's why it's like with him, I just, I, I has, I'm hesitant to give up a physical asset to bring it back. If it, obviously with the caveat that it's like, if all they're asking for is like a third round pick, I, I would do that in a heartbeat. You know, if it's not going to cost anything, but um, I, I just don't see why Montreal would do that. But yeah, let, let's hear some free agents. Cause I know it's been, you know, something that I've been pondering over as well, but it's always to get, get good to get a couple more names in there and just uh, keep even keeping an eye on them as a possibility. Yeah. And, and, you know, on the, the like, subject of him almost being 30, the way I, you know, write and tweet, people probably think I'm living in Logan's run. Cause like, I'll never even talk about a player of the age of 30. Whereas, I mean, I'm in my thirties. I, these guys can skate circles around any one of us. So um, the, yeah. So there's the idea of giving up assets, but for me, when I look at Toffoli and what he does, and he's, you know, a lot of things to like about the player, but then I look at who's going to be an unrestricted free agent this summer, similar, you know, natural um right shot forwards same sort of age bracket and you got trocheck out of carolina you got forsberg out of nashville you got ryan strome who auto's been connected to you got raquel out of anaheim um you got yarn croak out of seattle and uh bugstad out of um minnesota who i know verata from you know hockey brunch w-t-y-k-y has been pumping the tires on Bukestad. So there are like some good names and you got to think some of these guys are going to fall through the cracks. Like with the way the market is right now with so many good teams being, you know, up against the cap or so many big market teams not being in a competitive window, like one of these guys could fall through and you could get another dad and type deal. I don't know. This is just me sort of spitballing here. Yeah. I think that would definitely be interesting. I think maybe the only name I would stay away from there is Raquel. Um, now, but it depends too, because, you know, I say this, but I would have never guessed Dadanov was going to sign by three by five or whatever it was either. Right. right? Like and if any one of those guys are on a reasonable contract, I would, uh, Raquel's just the one where I think his value is probably, uh, pretty inflated compared to, you know, how good he's actually been as a hockey player right, the past right. couple of years. Yeah. Um, you know, like I don't know. And somebody, I think maybe people are coming around, but he had 28 points in 52 games last year, 18 and 34. He doesn't really drive play at all, but uh, Callie Yarncroke is a name that uh, I think would be an, an awesome fit. And he's not the, the flashiest by any means. And I think, you know, I could see people being uh, almost underwhelmed if that is, you know, their big pickup for the offseason. But he's a guy who, uh, you know, he, he plays well defensively. He, he doesn't drive too much offense. I, I would say that if there's a, a concern about him, you know, maybe that's it. But he, to me, is a guy who's having a down season right now in Seattle, at least from a play driving standpoint. I could see you getting him on a cheaper deal than maybe he wanted to get originally. He feels like one of those guys who could fall through the crack. And, um, you know, him being good at defense and he doesn't need to drive offense. He just needs to be a passenger on that a second or third line. That is a guy who I would definitely keep an eye on as, as a guy who might you might be able to find, even if it's only on a one-year deal, as a value pickup for next year. Right. As a, as a prove it. And I mean, you're, you're offering someone the opportunity to play with Tim Stutzel or Josh Norris or Shane Pinto. 
it's, it's not the worst proposition, right? Yeah, it's it's not, you know, like Ottawa, I think, is really starting to turn this corner where I, I get it. You know, Ottawa's not the uh, sexiest def- de- destination to live compared to, you know, L.A. or anywhere out in California or anything. But they have a good up and coming team. And and if you're a winger, especially like, they, yeah, that, that uh, for like that center depth down the middle with, you know, I, I haven't even really got to think about it. But like with Stutzler being as good as he is, the fact that they can re- realistically run uh, Norris Stutzler Pinto down the middle is a one, two, three. That could be a really dangerous thing to have going. And then you just got to find some winger depth to go with it. And, yeah. um, you know, I, I think that having that good center core is going to invite guys who might be you know more willing to take either whether it's a one year prove it deal or a guy who might take a little less to come play for, or less than he originally would have to come play for you. And, and that's an exciting thought just altogether because that wasn't a realistic option even a year ago or even four months ago, I would have said. Yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, and I guess the, the one other thing I would kind of float out there, and these are all totally hypothetical, no idea what the market is like, but you know, if a trade doesn't work and you can't get any of these guys on market, there are some really tantalizing RFAs like um, Lane, Besser, and Pugliarvi, um, who, again, if you're looking for that natural right shot, someone to play behind Batherson, and you don't like the ask on Toffoli, maybe you pursue some of those. Are they even on the market? I don't know, but uh, Ottawa's got options, you know, if they want to yeah. fill that spot between Batherson and Brown. Yeah, uh, my RFA target, if, uh, you know, and it sounds like he will be out too. He, I think he will be on the market this year is Kevin Fiala out of uh, Minnesota, sorry. Uh, he is a guy who is sneaky good. He's had a history of driving play, like good underlying numbers. He finally started putting the points together when he got to Minnesota. Uh, in the past three years, he's had 54 points in 64 games, 40 and 50. And this year, he's got 29 and 38. Uh, obviously, with those massive buyouts in Minnesota, he is probably not going, they're probably not going to be able to afford him. He's going to be looking for a raise, but he's only uh, 25 right now. He'll be 26, I believe, next year. Yeah, July 22nd. So he'll be 26 when the season starts next year. But if you could get, yeah, like I, I don't think it would cost too much to trade for him i'm assuming it'd be a mid to late round pick because uh, odds are minnesota's going to lose him anyways but if you could get biala trade for him for you know a, a low asset and then get him on some kind of six-year deal at the six six and a half range i think that could be a really good pickup he can play both. he he's technically a left wing but i think he can play both left and right and uh you know the other thing to why i think he might want out at the end of the year is he's been a guy who's been demoted on the power play and doesn't exactly sound like he always gets along with the coach. So um, that is my dream target that I think is not un- totally unrealistic. I, I I wouldn't expect it to happen by any means, but that's the type of player where if they could grab, grab him for, you know, maybe a little under market value for what a UFA would usually go for. I think it could go a long way in two to three years. Yeah. And you're definitely not the first person to throw Fiala's name out there. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's, you can see how he fits into Ottawa's designs and the way Ottawa is trying to play under Smith, right? Like trying to play that system. Um, it, it does seem like a really natural fit. Yeah, absolutely. Um, let's go back to the games, I guess, that ha- have been going on. I, when we we're talking about that Buffalo game, for some reason, I thought I had the whole week's kind of just collapsed together. But for some reason, <laughs> I thought it was the, the Capitals game that this happened. But uh, the one thing we didn't touch on in that Buffalo game is the absurd game-winning goal. We want to talk about bad luck and getting goalied. Let's talk about a goal that should not have even happened, where there is a full-on line brawl going on at the benches. There's eight guys at the benches. There's a one-on-one going on the ice. And then instead of blowing a single whistle or giving a single penalty out, they finally separate it and play keeps going and Buffalo goes down and scores. I have never, ever seen anything like this in my entire life. And if you could think of a better play to sort of represent Ottawa's season to date, I'd love to hear it because it was, it was so infuriating. Like you said, they had like, I think Buffalo had seven or eight skaters on the ice. It was, it all started with Brandstrom laying a really solid hit on Ocpozo, right? Brandstrom does not get enough credit for, you know, how well he's been playing defensively. And that was such a good, clean play on his part. Um, draws over all these savers. And then, of course, who else? But Josh Brown just got totally undressed on the goal. Uh, it was, it was rough. And rightfully, I mean, Fans are up in arms. It was a horrible non-call. It, it should have been a whistle. 
but also a meaningless game. It, it was just, it was the quintessential 2022 welcome to your Ottawa Senators. Yeah, it was one of those games where like, if this is even next year, probably, <laughs> I think fans would be rightfully losing their mind. Yeah. And like, yeah. people were not happy this past way. And like, I'm personally, I was distracted doing something else during that period uh, for that game. So I was very lucky and missed it live because I would have been fuming. I know I would have, but um, yeah, it's very lucky. I think for the league as well, that this was between the um, 29th and 28th place teams <laughs> in the standings. And someone was joking. They're like, watch. I, I saw a couple tweets, like watch that determine how the lottery falls or whatever. <laughs> um, but uh, I think you could point to more things than that, but yeah, that was just, it was one of the most absurd things I've ever seen. And this is a discussion I wasn't really planning on having, and we don't need to go deep into it or anything, but it's times like this where I really wish that they at least just held the refs a little more accountable or had them out, out so they could explain what their thought process was during that game. And, you know, like I get it. Ref, I, I ref, you know, minor hockey for a number of years, six or seven years. It's a hard job. You know, and obviously I didn't do anything close to the level <laughs> that they do it at. It's a hard job though, even at that level. So I understand that it's tough in the NHL, but there is just no excuse I can think of as to why you would not blow that play completely dead as soon as all eight guys get together. And I, I don't need them to never ref a game or anything like that. But if you make a catastrophic mistake in, you know, as a skater or something like that, you're either getting benched or you have to ask, answer questions for it. If it happens routinely, then you will get benched. I just don't see why we wouldn't hold refs to at least a similar kind of standard. And that's where I at least wish they would come out and just, I just want to hear what they thought was possibly going on that they didn't need to blow the whistle there. Especially because it, the play ends fairly quickly. It transpires from that into a goal. So now you, you stop playing, you have time and it's, it's not uncommon at this point in the NHL with the way it is to stop and say, okay, we've got a goal, but let's look. And both coaches can sort of say, was that, you know, within the confines of the rule book or not? And, you know, if I'm DJ Smith, I'm saying, absolutely. Like this is contestable. There, there are so many reasons why this should not be a goal. And so how it, it only, you know, it, it was a call on the ice, which is bizarre, but then it, it is upheld. And then, like you said, there's, there's no recourse after the fact to go back and say, how does this happen? You know? Um, and, and there does need to be some sort of accountability. I agree. And I don't know what the answer is because like you said, reps have a hard job. Things happen all the time, but you know, if this was to your point, like if Calgary is playing Toronto and this happens, you know, the media is not going to let this die. Um, so it's, it's frustrating to say the least. Mm-hmm. And like, I, I know there is, you know, internal, um, it's not like these refs just never get any feedback or anything. Like it's very, very detailed from what I've heard, uh, you know, just from people that I I've been at clinics from or whatever, like it is very detailed where like every week you get a list and they go through your games and they actually list off your mistakes and stuff. I just feel like they should take some of that public. You don't need to list every little penalty that was not called or whatever, but like on big things like that, just like, just have the ability to explain or communicate to the public, you know, what, what actions are being taken because it doesn't have to be a, a suspension from games or anything like that. But like, if you're just a little more open, I feel like there would at least be less confusion, which leads to less anger in the long term. Yeah. I think, I think uh, transparency at the very least. And I don't think considering how much fans do invest in this game, I don't think that's totally absurd to say, Hey, we just want a little bit of an explanation. Yeah, 100%. Um, Let's get to someone else that you already mentioned, and that's one that I've been dying to talk about because every time I watch this dude, ah, man, I'm just so impressed. And uh, unfortunately, he's now on the COVID protocol, but that is Eric Branstrom. Wow, he has... I've always been, I will start this by, I definitely have a bias. I've always been a defender of Eric Branstrom. Um, I haven't really understood why he's been sent down. I, I could not understand why he wasn't playing all of last year. I thought he should have been up here most of two years ago. Um, and the fact that he didn't start the team this year just blew my mind. So I definitely have a bias, but he is even surprising me with how well he has been playing since getting back in this lineup uh, in the new year here. And the past six games, it just feels like he's getting more and more confident as time goes on. And I really hope this COVID doesn't slow uh, this COVID uh, um, delay doesn't slow him down at all because uh, man, he has been an absolute treat to watch. It uh, it's, it's so 
confusing to me because I don't know what it is that so many of us see in him that other people can't quite grasp. And I don't know if it's purely like a only analytics crowd type of thing. If some people just don't like that, he's not a big, tough defender. But yeah, I mean, he's always, if you followed him as a prospect, you know, pre-draft in general, all that stuff, like he's always been such a fascinating defender in, you know, Belleville, he was always doing it in his short stints in Ottawa. He's always been doing it. I, I have nothing to justify him not being in Ottawa from day one, like you said, except that he's not six feet tall. Um, and you really hope that with this showcase over the last six games that, you know, the the coach has come out now and say like, yes, he's he's arrived, I think was what he said. And you hope more people can sort of see like, yes, Brandstrom is the real deal. Um, and that you're able to see that without having to get into his, you know, nerd numbers because those have always been so good he's um one of if not the best um defenders in ottawa right now by expected goals and of course he had five on five um and like he said you just hope for me it's you know i'm hoping it's one of those weird uh false positive type test results that's holding him out or something and you hope he's not seriously ill you hope he he comes back full uh speed and all that stuff but I also always wonder with these things if it's like he's going to get put on COVID protocol and then they're going to call up Hetherington or Delzato. Sorry not to knock on those guys, but it's just like they get called up and then the coach gets complacent because one of them goes out and lays a big hit. And then all of a sudden the coach is gushing and now oh, we don't have room for Brandstrom because we got to have Hetherington around to, you know, knock people out. It, it, that's what always crosses my mind. It's always a scary thought. And the one redeeming factor is Lassie Thompson is in the lineup tonight. Yes. So he's the one they called up. And um, yeah, I, I think I, I I can't put full trust in it because it's been four years now or three years now, uh, really of Branchdom being on this team and really not getting the shot. He, I think he deserves, I, uh, you know, when he played with Ron Hainsey, he had good defensive numbers and it was like, he's playing with a 39 year old Ron Hainsey. Yeah. What the <laughs> hell do you expect this guy to do? Like, and uh, like he's keeping his head above water. And even last year, like he looked great when he came up, he was playing on the top pair to end the year and he still looked good. Um, you know, when Shabbat was out and um, th- there's two encouraging things though, that I'm like, I'm trying to, you know, I don't want to get my hopes up too much, but I'm, I'm really trying. A, um, the coach's actual feedback, DJ Smith, you know, saying he's arrived and, you know, uh, pumping his tires. Obviously, a coach isn't going to completely slam a dude in the media. It's just, especially Smith. That's not what he does to his guys. And I think that's a good thing. But I have noticed that, you know, when Smith starts pumping his guys up in the media, he does commit to actually using them. And, and one of the things that has been good about Smith is as frustrating as it is when, you know, there's some of us on Twitter think, you know, we want to see one thing and he doesn't do it for a couple of weeks. He's not so stubborn that he just keeps going with the same thing. And, uh, you know, Michael Delzato is a great example of that this year where, you know, I wouldn't have had Michael Delzato in the lineup to begin with. For some reason, he needed to be in the lineup for the first month or two. However, by the second month, it was clear that Smith was just fed up with him and he is now no longer in the lineup. And so I I'm really hoping that that trend continues with now that he's seeing Batherson and he's liking what he sees that continues. And the other thing is too, for, I I have never understood this, why the org has been so insistent that Batherson has to play the left side when he has wanted to play the right side, or at least give it a shot. And they're finally, they finally moved him to the right side. He's even getting some time with Shabbat and the two together have looked pretty like, I, I haven't noticed them a ton. They haven't played a ton together, but when they do play together, it's just so obvious how, how much it helps even Shabbat just having a second, like fluid puck mover out there. And it's something that I hope now that they've seem to open up to him playing the right side. It gives him, you know, obviously it's not just that uh, third left-handed D spot. There's some, there's a spot on the right side up and down that lineup for him too. So those are the two things that I'm, I'm crossing my fingers that even, you know, even if he has to have a four or five day delay here, he can get right back in the lineup and go for where he was, you know, with the coach's uh, confidence. Yeah. And it, it's one of those things that, uh, you know, I, I love the point you made about Delzato and, and Smith and how he he did just get to a point where he said, you know, enough is enough with this and I'm taking it out of the lineup. Um, but I, I just can't wrap my head around the communication from coaching and management when you go out and sign a player like Delzato, when you don't have a plan for him. And every year it's there, there's something like this. And it's it's such a, you know, uh, trivial thing for us to complain about as fans, but it, it always gets me is, 
every single season this happens, whether it's it's all the way back to Johnny Oduya, and then in between you had Good Branson, you had um, Coburn, you've got uh, you had Hainsey, and now it's like you brought in Holden, who's not quite on that same level, but it's just like there is this old school mentality of like our defensive prospects are defensive prospects. They don't get thrown into the fire, even if they're, you know, potentially elite talents like Brandstrom. Um, it's confounding. And I don't understand if the coaching and management are on the same page with this. Uh, and in the end, it has seemed to work out, you know, Shabbat here got here eventually, but I do remember a point in time when even with Shabbat, it was like he was on the roster, but not playing, just practicing with the team. We were all thinking like, what is this? Why, why are we watching Johnny Oduya? It's, it's crazy. And like for the first year or two of the rebuild, it was like, fine. Like I, I get if you don't want to completely rush your prospects up, but yeah, like even with Shabbat, it was like, Oh, he needs time in the AHL. He spent 13 games in the AHL. And then they're like, no, we desperately need this dude back up in their NHL lineup. We suck. And and it's just like, yeah. Like when, when they committed to the rebuild in 2018, 19, I was like, sure. Like if you want to play Johnny Oduya, I guess I don't really understand it, but I guess in 2019, 20, I was like, I really don't understand playing Ron Hainsey, especially even over like a Dylan DeMello type player. Right. Right. But I was like, Fine. And then we got to last year. It's like, no, this just isn't acceptable anymore. You cannot be playing Erica Branson and Coburn over, you know, like just, and I'm sorry, I, I'm sure they're nice guys. I'm sure they're like in the locker room, but they're scrubs on the ice. You just cannot be playing those guys over your top tier prospects. Like you're not protecting them from anything. If they're not ready now, they're never going to be ready or you're never going to know if they're ready. And, and it's just like, I, again, I don't want to sound like a broken record, but this year was even more confused. Like the, that Michael Del Zotto con- contract was even more confusing to me because the past two, three years, it's been like, we need a, a veteran leadership, uh, gritty guy who can lay the body or whatever. Totally disagree with that. But at least like, I, 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 I completely disagree with why they did it, but like, there was a reason why they did it. Michael Delzato brought exactly what Branstrom and Mete did, just older, more expensive, and worse. Like he's an he's not a defensive defenseman. He was an offensive defenseman who can't play defense. Why, why are you signing that dude to a four million dollar deal? I just don't get it. And then doubling down and, and saying, you know, publicly, like he's gonna play shutdown minutes with Zaitsev. And I completely agree. And I think so many of us thought the same thing. He has never been known as a defensive defender. He has always been a power play quarterback, you know, even in Columbus, he was, he had a bit of offensive flair, but he has never been known for his defense. He's not Erica Branson. Erica Branson is a huge man who will crush people. That was his job. That's why they brought him in. I also don't agree with the logic, but you understood, well, this is why they do it because he's huge and he will knock people over. Delzato's never been that. And I agree. It was so much more confusing because of that. It, it, I still can't wrap my head around it. And like, it's, it's getting to the point where it's like, I really just hope for some reason, some team sees something in those or like need some depth as, in, in this off season. And they can just get out of the 2 million next year. I don't really expect it to happen. I, I think the more likely is either. Uh, well, I, I don't know. Cause it depends how grumpy it is. or Zaitsev, uh, Delzato is sorry. Um, where it's like, I could like, if he really thinks he can still play in the NHL and wants to go get another contract, I could see him even agreeing to a mutual termination. I don't think Ottawa's going to buy him out. I just, after another season of no ticket revenue, I, I don't think so, but it just, it's one of those things where it's like, it's a sunk cost. Now I'm glad that they've recognized it's a sunk cost because how many times have we seen this team in the past be like, well, we can't waive the dude because he's on a one-way contract making over a million and a half dollars or whatever. It's like, so at least he's in the minors. Um, you know, it's open the rest of the blue line. Granted, uh, I don't think it's so uh, Bernard Docker got sent down and uh, that was disappointing to me. I, I thought he's looked not like, like he hasn't looked unreal or anything, but I thought he's looked like a good NHL player. And again, that's more than I can say about a lot of the decor here. I thought this decor has looked at its best when they have been running any combination of Shabbat, Branstrom, Zub, uh, JBD, um, and who am I missing? I, I'm blanking. I apologize here. Uh, not Josh. 
Uh, Holden, yeah. thank you. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah Holden on, on that third pair. And then obviously I, I don't really care for Josh Brown, but I, I found he's been more tolerable <laughs> when he's playing with Holden at least than it is when like Mete's back in the lineup tonight. And I want to like Mete, but the, the, the pair is just a disaster together. I think that was those six together though, um, or, you know, swap out the six. The top five is the most important thing. That's been the top best top five I've seen all year and probably in a couple years from this team. And I was really disappointed to see that uh, JBD was sent down to the minors again uh, this week. Yeah. And you know, one thing uh, just before I totally forget the, the one thing that could be redeeming for the Delzado situation, and this is such a pipe dream, but Hey, we can manifest positivity here. He's already in the minors. That makes him just the tiniest bit more tradable because for a team who wants him as a seventh, eighth defenseman down the stretch, He's already in the minors. He's already buried. He doesn't need to clear waivers. So if you acquire him now, you've already got him buried. You don't have to try to put him through waivers to get him there. It's it's a long shot, but it's something. Um, and yeah, so to your point about Ottawa's defensive configuration, JBD, uh, while he hasn't had the big offensive flashes like Brandstrom, he actually, by the numbers I was putting out on Twitter the other day, I think he's right behind um Brandstrom second in relative expected goals for at five on five like his defensive numbers are unreal for how young he is and how inexperienced he is it could be a small sample size but uh yeah I agree that he's he's part of your ideal top five uh Thompson has also looked really really good for his age um it's a shame that JBD got sent down um and with Mete you know it's one of those things I'm glad they they took a waiver on him last year. They did the experiment, but for whatever reason this year, it's just, he's lost his touch in Ottawa. It happens. He was a waiver experiment. Uh, you move on, right? Exactly. And, you know, I, I kind of hope that uh, post-trade, like, I don't think anyone's going to take Josh Brown at the trade deadline, but <laughs> I, I can hope because like, literally, like, I, I think the, and Sightsep is going to be coming back at some point. That's kind of the, the elephant in the room, obviously yeah. here is that, regardless of what we think about this lineup, as soon as I have healthy, he's back in it. And I just, it just kind of, it's so deflating because I really do think that if you ran combos of uh, Shabbat, Branstrom, um, Holden, Zub, uh, and then JBD and Thompson, or, you know, mix those six up, whatever way you want, right? Like mix those six up. I don't, I don't really care. But I think that is your, like, that already is your ideal top six. Not in a couple of years, not next year, not in a couple of years. I think that is your best six defensemen right now. And it just, like, just because they're young is the reason they seem to be holding them back. And that just kind of, it pains me to see because it's like, I, age shouldn't matter if you're uh, in, the, in the NHL having success, you know? Like, it shouldn't matter if you're 21 or 29, if you're playing well against the opponent. Like that, that's all that matters, you know, like, so I, I don't know. I, I'll be really interested to see what they do post trade deadline. If it, you know, the team looks any different at all, how many guys they, they trade away. But um, yeah, it, it's, I, I think that the, the six that I just named, that would be my ideal six. And obviously that doesn't rarely happen, but I, I hope we can at least see four or five of them in the lineup at all times. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree more about the, the defensive configuration. And I think you can live as an NHL team with Zaitsev or Josh Brown as your sixth, seventh defenseman. Like Calgary's got good Branson and they're still, you know, to me, like one of the best looking teams in the league when you look at all their, their fancy numbers. So you can live with having one of those guys, but to have, you know, Zaitsev and Josh Brown and maybe Holden, who's kind of, you know, he's, he's on and off like that's rough. And, you know, one other thing about the defense and earning their keep, and I was ruminating on this earlier and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this uh, with moving Stutzel to center finally. And I was thinking about that and it's like, he's your third overall pick. He's, you know, he was this amazing international junior player, so hyped. He was playing professional hockey in Germany, and then he comes to Ottawa, and it was like, how dare you think you can be a center on, like, the 30th ranked team in the NHL? Like, what, what is the thought there where this kid's like, I can play center, and the whole world is looking at Stutzel and saying, like, this kid's a center, and then be like, he's got to earn it. He's got to play wing for a bit. You're the Senators, and I love this team, but, like, you stink. What are you doing? 
it just I mean, seems it, it just seems like that was such just like a a false narrative about development and like we've seen other guys go from wing to center before but like we've also seen people just jump in and be good at center and like sure if there's a learning curve who cares like i i get like a because the thing is, and, and like what I've never understood, and this is obviously a much just like higher level topic, but like the whole thing about development is like a lot of it kind of feels like it's revisionist history where it's like if a guy started on the third line, then works his way up to the second line and then becomes a first line player, people just attribute to that. When in reality, there's possibility that he was just going to always be a good first line player, no matter what you did. It's kind of the same thing with Curtis Lazar. A lot of people are like, you know, Curtis Lazar got completely rushed. And I think there was an aspect of that, but at the same time, it is very possible that Curtis Lazar was always just going to be a fourth line centerman and nothing more, you know? And with Stutzla, it's just one of those things where it's like, you didn't, even if you're playing him at center, you didn't need to throw him to the wolves as a centerman right away. Like if you give him a good winger and put him in a, lineup matchup where it's like your first line's taking the hard matchups and Stutzla's line is getting more of the um offensive zone it's like that development plan it does it you know that could probably work just as well as moving a guy from left wing to center and I just I, I never really understood from the team why they felt they had to start him at winger either that that always seems strange to me and I, I do kind of wonder now if you know him being so good at center um is going to switch their their thought process on it going or on that kind of stuff going forward anyways and i totally agree players are who they are and i, I thought the same thing with lazar and cc where it was like yeah they were young when they came up but they were always going to be who they were they 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 developed true to what their reports were on draft day that never changed people had certain expectations they might exceed what you know some of the scouts said but they always became what they were going to become and uh, yeah, uh, our good friend Brad uh, from Silver Seven, who also runs Natural Stat Trick, he was posting the numbers today of uh, Stutzel at center and how pretty much across the board his Corsi and expected goals numbers have been better at center than they were on the wing. I mean, small uh, sample given. And, you know, and to your point about getting thrown to the wolves, it was like, it's not like when you're playing as a winger, you were giving him great line mates. Like he was mixed match with a bunch of bottom six guys with all due respect to them. I mean, they're, they're NHLers too, but it was like, he, he wasn't getting sheltered necessarily. He was getting thrown all over the place, different combinations, different wing, like different centers to play with different wingers. And it was like, he had great numbers despite that. And now he is playing serious center in minutes and doing even better and i agree it's like are they gonna keep trying to justify this because the good players always rise to the top anyway you know with Branstrom is the same thing it's like oh look he's good because we kept you know jerking him back and forth and moving him around and it was the same thing with uh with shabbat and and whoever else it's like look we we put this player through the ringer and now they're good when at the same like we could have always told you they were good. They always were yeah. good. It was, this was never up for discussion. This goes as far as back as like, there's still people to this day that would tell you Eric Carlson's time in the AHL made him a better hockey player <laughs> or what, what he was at his peak in Ottawa. Eric Carlson played 12 games in the AHL and had 11 assists. Those 12 games did nothing. He just tore up the league and they went, shit, we need you back up here. Like, it's just, it's one of those things where I, I really hope, you know, I don't know, like, it's just, I, I don't get it at all because um, yeah, like there's a lot of people who could have told you it's like, these guys are good hockey players. Just let them be good hockey players. And I think your point is uh, really good about, um, you know, the sheltering thing. It's like, there's, I don't think there's much of a difference if you're not going to shelter the guy anyways, him not being sheltered on the left wing versus center. I don't think it really matters, you know? Yeah. And I think to me, what it kind of boils down to, because I, I don't know that we're ever going to get a, a real answer to this, is like, why, why do we watch the NHL? Like, why, why do we torment ourselves with this? Like, this is totally the culture of the NHL. And this, this goes into some much bigger issues and bigger problems of like, this is part of the mentality of like, that old boys club, and you got to do it the way, you know, our grandfathers did it. And, you know, you got to earn your keep and go through the rituals. Like it is... I don't know why we want it's so frustrating 
you know, when you, we can see now definitively through the numbers and through all the advanced scouting and video, we have like what works and what doesn't. And we're still going with this like whole dog and pony show approach. But I mean, it, you love the centers. We've watched this team. It's, this is our team. What else are we going to do? Yeah, exactly. And uh, I don't know if you've got the game on in the background here. I do. Uh, Thomas Shabbat just went down and that is a very, very scary sight. Uh, so obviously that'll be an update once this podcast comes out, but, uh, he went pretty hard into the, um, the stanchion there, like the connector right by the bench got hit in there and went down. So, uh, him being out for any period of time makes this team a lot less watchable, but uh, I'm sure we will both be tuning in regardless. Um, thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, plug some stuff. Where can people find you and your work? Yeah, so um, Silver Seven Sends, uh, you can check the uh, the weekly prospect update that I do with uh, Sean over at Silver Seven Sends. Uh, we do a bunch of uh, other coverage. I mean, we got stuff coming out pretty much every day. And you can find me on Twitter at Owen Nolan Ryan. That's all one word together. Um, and I really want to thank you for having me on the podcast. I really uh, appreciate it. This was, you know, we covered a lot of really good stuff. And uh, it's just always a pleasure to talk sense. Yeah, it's an absolute blast. I'll definitely, definitely have to have you on again down the road uh, as we keep getting more to talk about here. Yeah, definitely. I mean, trade deadline will be interesting to see if if they're kind of in this delusional state of like, maybe we can do something here. I'm, I'm hoping it's par for the course, but it, it and, you know, off season two, it should be a slam dunk. Sign Norris, sign Brandstrom, sign Formatin, and then we all ride off into the sunset. But like, this is pure Dorian. We have no idea what we're going to get. If there's one thing we've learned with the Ottawa Senators, it is never a slam dunk. Yeah. Uh, thank you everyone so much for listening. As always, uh, go check out uh, all the all the good stuff. Uh, go check out Owen's work and everything at Silver Seven Cents. It's really good. Uh, great content. Uh, uh, thank you so much, Owen, for joining me. Uh, you can find my work at last uh, lastwordonhockey.com. You can find me on Twitter at NHL Sends and stuff. The pod on Twitter at lastwordonsends. Uh, I hope everyone has a great week, and I'll talk to you all next week. Bye.